Welcome to Economics Happy Hour. My name is Matt. And my name is Jadrian. And we are thrilled to have Brian Holler. Am I pronouncing your last name correct, Brian? You are. You are. Awesome. Brian is joining us today to talk about economics in the Bible or biblical stories and how they relate to economics. We figure we're dropping this in the holiday season for multiple different religions. And this might be a kind of a interesting way to think about the world in a little bit of a different way. So Brian, thank you so much for being here. And um, Jadrian and I drew straws and he gets to do the formal introduction for our audience. I, right. I nominated Brian, so I get to introduce Brian. Uh, I have known Brian for, uh, he might be able to correct me. I'm going to say years. We'll just leave it up to yeah. a, a single digit years, maybe double digits, but getting close. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Around double digits. Ish, um, ish. ish. Yeah. Uh, so Brian is a professor at Marymount University, uh, and he has, I think, a fantastic and incredibly interesting background, which I'm sure he'll happily talk about. Uh, he is a Virginia Tech alumni, which is really fun, yeah. except not in economics. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Brian has a Brian has a degree in mechanical engineering from Virginia Tech, an MBA from the University of Florida, and a JD PhD from George Mason. Uh, he is an economist. Uh, he got his PhD in economics, but he has a very cool background uh, as it comes to engineering, MBA, business, law, econ, all sorts of cool stuff. And fun fact we just learned three minutes ago, uh, Brian has also traveled to 101 different countries. That's yeah. that's yeah, yeah, I'm still in awe. I heard it, you know, just before we came on air. Matt, and Matt was in awe of the 28. <laughs> I'm actually that's around where I am, I think. Okay. Um nice. But the uh the hundred and one is like next level and that that's pretty fantastic. So uh and so Marymount, that's near uh near Washington, DC or in the Washington, DC area. It is. We're inside the beltway. We're uh first of all, thank you for having me on. It's a delight to be uh be here with you guys. And we are located in Arlington, Virginia. Uh, which is inside the Beltway, about I'm guessing about five miles from the Potomac, if not closer, three to five miles. Um, we're like a five minute. The uh, campus that I teach on is about five minute walk to the metro, which takes you straight into DC. Very cool. Uh, so, Very cool. Yeah, nice low cost of living area, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Notice so, yeah. he said walk. So that will also that is also a fun fact about Brian. I'm going to share now that I just remembered it. Brian, I don't know if you're still doing it. Does not have a car. That's correct. That's correct. correct. Okay. So uh, I had a, a truck that died in 2019 and I thought I'd do a one year experiment to live without a car. And then the pandemic hit, there was no place to go. So I didn't get a car. Then car prices shot way up. And even when I had a car, I was probably driving once a week, if that. And so it's just a lot cheaper to Uber and rent a car when I need it than it is to own a car. Uh, so it definitely makes window shopping a little tougher, but that that could have some positive financial benefit too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's really cool. That's really cool. Uh, Jadrian, you can go ahead and start this part then. So even though we are talking about biblical stories and religious stories <laughs> and economics, uh, that will not prevent Matt and I from having a drink. So no, hey, um, yeah, my Lord and Savior turned water into wine. So that's I right. view that that's as the right. sign that this is okay. Yeah. So I am having. Uh, we talked about this in a previous episode. Matt's first trip, I think, to a Trader Joe's that had alcohol. Um, yep. I have also went to a Trader Joe's that had alcohol since moving to Virginia. Um, and I have picked up the Joseph Brow Hefeweizen Ooh. from Trader Joe's. So I'm having a Hefeweizen today. And I am having a repeat drink in a growler. That's a Marzoni's <laughs> beer. Um, 
And once again, I've had this before, but Timber Ghost Realty Mug, which is uh, the my family's real estate company in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. I, I'm at the office. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to ask. Uh, uh, you mentioned office, so um, maybe yes, I'm quite as alcoholic. I'm still at the office, so I'm going to be boring with a A&W uh, root beer. Root beer. Yeah. Okay. Root beer, yeah. I'm more yeah, of an says- A&W. I'm a cream soda guy, but yeah, root beer's I, good, too. I figured you guys be having beer, so I ought to get as close as I can. <laughs> beer in the yeah. title. Says yeah, that's right. Title. That's right. Okay. Well, cheers. Yeah. Cheers. To be fair, some of our very first episodes after launching a podcast about drinking and talking about economics, Matt decided to spend an entire month abstaining from alcohol. So oh. you're not the first non-drinking guest. Yep. Um, and we even had a non-drinking host for a month. Yeah, yeah. There were even <laughs> there were even office visits where or there there have been times we've each been in the office too, where we've had to not drink. And sure. So which to all of the high school and college students, it shows you do not need to drink to have fun. No, no, um, you do not. And Jadrian, how did you like that beer that you just tried? I'll share with you at the end how I feel about it. <laughs> okay, Matt has had this beer before, so <laughs> I, 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 I have no shame to say I gave it a very low rating. I'm, Trader Joe's does not sponsor yeah. us, and probably now they never will. But um, give me a yeah. let me let me see how I feel in thirty minutes. I will go in that. Okay. Okay. Well, I will wow. say one thing. I will okay. say one thing about A and W is that my always reminds me of my grandma and grandpa. My dad's parents. They there was a A and W stand right across the street from where they lived. So every time we go up to Michigan and go visit them, we always saw A and W, and so that that always makes me think of them. Cool. I love A and W. Little extra yeah. value from from <laughs> you know, sentimental value from. So I don't need extra excuses to have soda. Uh, yeah, soda. that would give yeah. me one. I had I had my Coke before this, so this is my second drink of tonight. So, and I'll have another one probably with my dinner. Okay, nice, nice. nice. Yeah. So, economics and the Bible are biblical stories. So, this is an area, uh, Brian, and you've you've done work in this area before. So I have. So let me. Uh, the, the, this work in particular, I've been working on with uh, Jadrian and also with Amel Ben at. Abdesalem, I think I'm saying her last name correctly. She's a colleague of mine here at Marymount. We always call her Dr. Amel. Um, but she's kind of the one who kind of had the seed of the idea for the topic of writing, um, uh, using biblical stories to illustrate basic economic concepts. Uh, part of my dissertation uh, or my specialty in grad school is actually uh, we had to choose like two fields to specialize in. And one of mine was Oh, I don't didn't know I could make the balloons. Um, it's a peace sign. The, the peace sign will make sign. the balloons. Oh, that's cool. Sometimes um, I'm like this A and W is really good. Um, <laughs> but they uh, in grad school, my two fields were uh, public choice, which is like the economics of politics, and then economics of religion. So it's kind of like the two things you're not supposed to talk about from the worst <laughs> possible perspective: economics. Um, you were so really popular at parties, I bet. <laughs> right? Absolutely. So my my dissertation work was not on biblical stuff per se, but it was looking at how religiosity affects rates and stability of marriage. So I've done a lot of research on uh, religion. I did a, uh, have a paper on um, how, uh, kind of a public choice analysis of different denominations and how denominational hierarchies create larger and smaller transaction costs for decision-making, how that uh, denominations that are highly hierarchical uh, and Protestant denominations tend to make slower decisions, and that can affect how well they adapt to societal change. 
Um, uh, so this topic, though, is uh, quite a bit different where we're actually delving into biblical stories to try to illustrate uh, basic economic concepts. The idea here is that uh, we're trying to stick with uh, stories from the first uh, five books of the Bible. There are things that would be should be familiar to not only Christians, but also to Muslims, to Jews, people of uh, uh, Abrahamic faith, for lack of a better term. And um, just trying to and there's a lot of popular culture that goes with this, a lot of uh, history, history that goes with this. Uh, certainly uh, Christianity has had a big influence on uh, Christianity and Judaism have had a big influence on Western culture. Uh, Islam has had a big influence on uh, the Middle East, parts of Africa and uh, parts of Asia. And so this is something that we think would be appealing to a lot of people. Uh, we tie into popular culture, so it should be accessible to uh, more secular audiences, secular schools, as well as religious-based schools. And so it's something that we tr we're trying to be very inclusive in our approach on, on this topic. Yeah, that is incredibly cool. Although, even though when I was prepping and I was thinking of a couple stories in mind that I might be able to ask about, they're both New Testament. So you've, you've completely ruined that part for me, but it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. So what is... Um, you know, as you're thinking through the stories, what I'm, I'm curious for both of you, since you're you both worked on this and Brian, we'll start with you. What's yeah. your favorites of the stories to illustrate an economic concept? So one of my favorite examples is uh, Noah's Ark uh, it's, uh, from uh, Genesis. And it's um, where God uh, gets frustrated with kind of how wicked humanity has become. And he just is ready to just start over, kind of do away with all of it. He, he saves Noah and Noah's wife and uh, uh, his sons and their wives, uh, and one of every animal, uh, a few animals he saves uh, seven of, but uh, seven pairs of, I should say. But um, but the idea here that uh, Ill that this illustrates is God avoiding sunk cost fallacy. He's just like, let's just start over. You know, this is uh, not working out. Let's start over again. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's a good example of the sunk of sunk cost avoiding sunk cost fallacy. Uh, you can also use it to think about. Um, what would the world be like after this? How would that affect production, productivity, standards of living, um, uh, production possibility frontiers? So there's a lot so, of different takes that you can do with this. Yeah, taking a uh, step back. Um, yeah, yeah. The, I, I would imagine many of our listeners know the sunk cost fallacy, but probably not all. So yeah. I'll, I'll, sunk cost fallacy, I will try to give my quick definition and you can correct me or come up with a better one. But it is the idea, a sunk cost is a cost that's been incurred and you have paid it and it will be paid regardless of whatever future direction you would take. Mm -hmm. the, the sunk cost fallacy is the idea that you weigh that into consideration of what the next best move is. Because if a cost has been made and it's irretrievable, it really should be ignored. And what you should be doing instead is what are the benefits of action A or what are the benefits of action B? Not, should I continue with action A because I put all of this investment into it, or should I switch to action B? Does that seem reasonable? Anything to add? I think, no, it's, I think it's good. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe, maybe this economic teaching thing will work out for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. so let me give a non-biblical example to help out. Um, and this, you know, it, this is going to be one of those goofy moments, and I think both of us can agree on this. Even though we know you're not supposed to waste sunk costs in your decision making, I, I still, I mean, I, I, I value I fall victim to this fallacy regularly. So um, the sunk cost fallacy for people just doing like regular everyday things would be things like um, 
you ordered food and took it home and then you're sitting down to eat it and you realize you don't like it. Uh, and then for some people, they continue to eat it. Um, and they're just like, I already paid for it, so I'm going to keep eating it. That would be sort of in that space of some cost fallacy. Or the example I always give is uh, if you're watching a movie on Netflix and you don't like it, very easy to turn it off. People turn it mm -hmm. off all the time. But if you go to a movie, buy a ticket, and you're sitting there and you hate it, people will sit there and go, well, I already paid for the ticket. I'm going to sit here and watch it anyway. Um, right. So some cost fallacy would be sitting through a movie you hate when realistically, sort of the Netflix version, yeah. the opportunity cost is what matters. Walk out of that movie, turn it off, walk away. As a good mm -hmm. economist, I will tell you, I have first acted some theater productions. <laughs> that after the first act, I'm like, I'm done. Oh, um, wow. Uh, now, I won't be so rude as to like stand up in the middle and see, let them see me leaving. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's it's it's been very rare, but that's uh, some yeah, cost fallacy. That's a fascinating one, though, with Noah's R. I had never thought about it that way. And I mean, I've heard the story. Yeah, you know, I appreciated your hmm in the middle of that, because that's how I feel like, you know, it's a really good story. If you can get another economist to go, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> well, often I think the best economic work are things that somebody does something and it makes total sense. Uh -huh. And then you wonder how in the world didn't I think of that before? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the things that seem obvious in hindsight, but nobody was talking about it before to me are, are the most brilliant discoveries. So mm -hmm. I think, I think that's a fantastic example. So, so I'll the, share my weave in here. Brian is definitely the, I will say I've joked and called him the biblical scholar, even though he hates this comment because he, he's like, that's not me. Um, my knowledge of the Bible is significantly lower. However, when he was explaining it all to me, I go, oh, you know what? There's a movie, Evan Almighty, that's about Noah's mm -hmm. Ark. And I go, there's scenes that we could clip from, from Evan Almighty. So I'm sitting there going like, I've seen the movies uh, or I've seen TV shows about a lot of these stories. Um, so that's my contribution. It is not in biblical accuracy. And, and I have to say that is a terrible, awful movie. Uh, <laughs> but it has right, some good clips. Definitely we're crossing clips. sponsors off left and right. Yeah, today. Yeah. But it's uh, yeah, uh, no, that's that's absolutely right. It's a uh, a good movie with some good clips in it. Some good good visuals for what the arc <laughs> might look like. Well, so I have a I have a question. I'm going to ask you about a second clip that I'd like you to share because I know for a fact that Brian or not sorry, Brian. I know for a fact that Matt is going to love this next clip. If you could please describe the economics associated with Joseph and his brothers, because there ah, is a musical and Matt loves musicals. Yep. That I, I have. Yeah. Love. I've seen Joseph a couple times. <laughs> yeah. It's a fantastic, fantastic. I like Evan Almighty. That is fantastic. <laughs> so yeah, fantastic musical. Um, but yeah, it's a musical about uh, Joseph and the coat of many colors. And Joseph was the son of Jacob, who was later called Israel, who's the son of Isaac, who was uh, um, God had called Abraham to sacrifice and later sent a lamb into in lieu of the sac sacrifice. And Isaac was the son of Abraham. So anyone who's familiar with the song, like Father Abraham had many sons. Uh, yeah. So that would make uh, Joseph his great grandson. Um, and so the there's a couple stories that come out of Joseph's life that I think teach some pretty good economics. Uh, the first is when um, Joseph uh, had 11 brothers. And so he had, uh, he was one of 12 kids and he grew up having um, dreams. Uh, actually, it was 12 other brothers. I had one younger brother. 
uh, Benjamin. Um, but he had uh, dreams where he was ruling over his other brothers, ruling over his father. He had multiple dreams like this. He made, he told his brothers about it. And, his, of course, his brothers got very upset, thought he was just full of himself, did not like him. To make matters worse, Joseph was the favorite uh, son of his father. And so the brothers were very, very jealous. And so the brothers uh, conspired to kill Joseph. Uh, they kind of uh, they were out um, uh, away from home and ended up uh, throwing him into a pit, taking his uh, his coat of many colors. It was a gift from his father. And uh, they're trying to figure out how to kill him. And they saw this band of Ishmaelites who were like a tribe in the region. Uh, come by and they ended up saying, well, why kill him? We can just sell him into slavery and then we can make some money off of this too. So he ended up selling him into slavery and they took his coat, kind of shredded it up, uh, smothered it with goat's blood and then showed it to their dad and told them that a wild animal had killed their brother. Uh, meanwhile, Joseph gets sold into slavery in Egypt and uh, ends up uh, getting uh, falsely accused of a crime, of trying to make advances towards the man who had uh, bought him to be his servant, gets thrown into prison for several years, interprets the dreams of a um, couple uh, uh, individuals, and then uh, they end up getting out of, uh, one of them gets out of prison, becomes cupbearer to the pharaoh, and the pharaoh um, starts having these dreams, and the cupbearer suddenly remembers Joseph in prison, and tells the pharaoh, hey, I know this guy and met this guy in prison who can interpret dreams. And so ended up um, uh, the pharaoh called on him and Joseph interpreted the pharaoh's dreams. And there's some things that ensue from that. So um, I'll talk about the dreams in a minute. But first, I'll start off talking about the getting sold into slavery. And this uh, this has several dimensions, several economic concepts that uh, come into play here. One is asking the question of why would the brothers choose the change their decision from killing him to selling him into slavery. And you can think about, you know, what what's the uh, self-interested behavior here that might uh, cause that? Uh, you know, you can think about this could tie into discussions on the economics of slavery. You can talk about uh, things like the profit motive um, and how this can motivate people to do things that they feel are going to be, you know, the brothers felt that they were going to be better off uh, selling him into slavery than they would if they had just killed them, killed him. And so that uh, that's one concept that can come from this. Um, I want to pause if anybody has any questions, but I have a few other concepts that I could take from this story. Um, the uh, um, other ideas, uh, things that could tie into this is why was slavery allowed to happen in this environment? You know, something that doesn't happen in modern America, although, you know, certainly there's uh, unfortunately history of slavery in the U.S., history of slavery in many parts of the world, Still, slavery occurs in certain places. And what is it about the times and places where slavery existed versus, say, contemporary America? And this could lead into good discussions on institutions. Uh, one, of brother, uh, one of Joseph's brothers um, was secretly wanting to come back and uh, save Joseph. He, he wanted to leave him in the pit. Uh, you know, they threw him in a pit and were, uh, he was trying to convince his brothers to just leave him there to basically die. And he was planning on coming back to... Uh, secretly, secretly come back and uh, save him. And this is where, you know, you can ask the question of, well, why was he keeping that information private? Uh, you could get into some discussions of game theory, uh, asymmetric mm -hmm. asymmetric information, things like that. Uh, the fact that Joseph got sold into slavery means that there was trade that happened. You can talk about uh, trade going on in this uh, context and what, uh, uh, you know, just the um, two parties uh, uh, 
engaging in exchange. Um, uh, so there are a lot of different takes that you could have with the, the beginning of the story. And this is like one of many stories you could uh, tap into from mm -hmm. Joseph's life. Um, uh, another example would be when you think about uh, Joseph and uh, the Pharaoh, uh, when Joseph goes to, um, after he gets released from, or, you know, taken out of uh, prison to come interpret the Pharaoh's dream, dreams, the Pharaoh is having a dream that of seven fat cows that ended up getting, uh, sounds kind of funny to say, but he's dreaming of yeah. these seven fat cows. And then these seven yeah. skinny cows come up and eat the fat cows. Well, assume everybody's seen um, the musical because it's a great <laughs> yeah, song. absolutely. Right. right? The, yeah. the Elvis version of the Pharaoh comes out here. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's a fantastic musical. There's a musical. If you search on YouTube, you can see a full length version of the musical. And this is one of many um popular cultural references that you could use to teach stories like this. Mm -hmm. uh, Spotify uh, has the the uh, the songs from the musical itself. And that's uh, they're fantastic songs. That's a play by um, Andrew Lloyd Webber and just fantastic uh, music, fantastic visuals. Just uh, definitely one of my favorite, uh, favorite plays that I've seen. Um, when Joseph goes to interpret the Pharaoh's dreams, he says, okay, well, the seven fat cows represent seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And uh, the Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph's ability to interpret his dreams that he ends up putting Joseph in charge of preparing kind of the kingdom to uh, preparing Egypt to prepare for, uh, to get ready for the famine. And Joseph ends up basically taxing uh, people, gathering a lot of grain uh, in preparation for the famine. They, st the, they store up a lot of grain in um wherever the Pharaoh kept his grain and they use that to give to the people uh, as the famine kicks in and uh, the people keep finding themselves kind of in lower and lower positions. So you get this kind of concentration of power for the, uh, for the Pharaoh from these events. And you can think about uh, things going on. Like this is kind of a, a monopoly situation. Uh, you can think about it as being an example of, uh, fiscal policy, kind of taxing and spending, you kind of uh, the government is collecting or spending uh, on grain when the uh, when the you're having a economic expansion and then they're uh, spending, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're giving out the um, uh, the the bounty or the grain when the times are scarce. Like getting standard standard macroeconomics would suggest, right? If you're in the bad times, you should be either. <clears throat> Lowering taxes or increasing government spending when you're in the good times, uh, that's the time to cut back and, and pay off the debt. Um, and, I actually and put in a link. Taxes. I put in a link this because this that song is on Broadway Economics. I've I put that specific oh. Joseph song onto the Broadway Economics website, which this will be See, my. Matt, uh, you could have contributed to this conversation. You <laughs> you had answers. You didn't even realize it. I could have, and this will be my. I'm I'm calling this my pop culture in advance reference. So, <laughs> okay, uh, Matt's calling dibs on the pop culture. Dibs. Um, but you know, it's 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 kind of fascinating, right? I mean, he recommends. Okay, you need to do economic planning mm -hmm. and figure out what you can do to in the good times to store up and save, so that in the bad times, you know, things will be a little bit smoother. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's kind of like what you'd learn in uh, principles of macro, you know, just it, it, it's a kind of textbook example. And I think it's, it's something that until we start on this project, I don't think I'd really considered in those terms, but it's it's something that's a very real example of good macroeconomic policy being implemented in uh, ancient biblical times, which yeah. I think is kind of cool.
You're going to make me come back, go back and listen to the early part of the score to see is there a way to pull one of the earlier songs and mm. put that on the website now as well. Although, you know, because you mentioned your two areas were earlier were public choice, mm -hmm. and I've often thought about this, right? Like the cycles of the economy. I mean, if you go through the song, like it talks about the cycles of the economy and how, you know, you could lower taxes or increase spending during a recession. And then, of course, you're incurring debt, which you pay off during the good times but then public choice suggests no you think that politicians never really right. do that because <laughs> they have their incentive really isn't to do the public good i mean i think everybody comes mm -hmm. in but their incentive really is to get reelected, mm -hmm. which i've never actually thrown that into the song i'm wondering if i need to do like a second version of this song yeah it'd be interesting to consider because i think what like public choice in a democracy you'd want to get reelected. in a non-democracy you would want to maximize Not be assassinated not be assassinated and maximize political support from stakeholders, right? And so just having people who are benefiting from the status quo or from the, the political situation that you maintain is kind of what is uh, is important. You can think about places, you know, like maybe North Korea, where they're certainly not a democracy, but that there are certain stakeholders that need to um, continue to benefit from the current system in order for that current system to maintain itself. Uh, it'd be interesting. It'd be fascinating to go back and look at what those institutions would have been in ancient Egypt. Uh, it'd be interesting to know if we even know what those institutions would be. Yeah. So, Brian, you you sort of said it, but maybe I'm going to add. I'll ask to be clear, just to make sure. Do you talk about these in your principles class? Like you're you're at a Catholic yeah. university. Do yeah. you find yourself sort of weaving in biblical stories as examples? Like not everyone's Catholic, but do yeah, you that is a. That is a great question. And unfortunately, I'm ashamed to say I have not. Uh, and so yeah. this is something that uh, working through this, working on the project has definitely got me thinking in more detail on. And it's mm -hmm. something that I absolutely should start doing uh, next time I uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember. I think I'm teaching macro principles of macro this spring. I am the poster child for the absent minded professor. And I just got out of class right before getting on the podcast. But I'm pretty sure I'm teaching that next semester. So if I am, I will definitely uh, incorporate these uh, these lessons in there. Yeah. What class were you teaching? I'm kind of curious. So what uh, what class did you just finish? Yeah. So uh, research methods. So okay. uh, going over teasing, it's kind of like a, a advanced econometrics where I have the students do a lot of research papers. Mm -hmm. uh, so teaching them how to, we've actually been playing around a, a little bit with uh, chat GPT. It's got some really good data analysis stuff that just kicked in and uh does great for like giving instructions for how to use things like stata and stuff like that we're using a lot of stata and today we were going over um using vlookup on excel to kind of merge data sets which has been kind of kind of fun for me and confusing for my students so yeah <laughs> that's your yeah. that's your mba showing that's yeah yeah he's a yeah. i love i love vertical lookups yeah <laughs> um so jadrian was that your like i mentioned i asked one wanted one of each was was that your favorite uh, from the paper so my i will say no my favorite is definitely the noah's ark one um okay. absolutely okay. my favorite so yeah. i will say my contribution to the paper when brian okay i will say when brian first approached me on this paper i think brian had like 20 ideas like there were like 20 different scenes and i was like you can't do that that's going to be completely overwhelming we can't do that much for one paper so he was gracious we sort of I, i'm gonna say we it's brian brian and ml um narrowed it down to a handful of them. Um, my So my contribution, I think the only one that I even pitched out as an idea wasn't even my idea. I got it from a Freakonomics, uh, one of the Freakonomics books. It talks about uh, 
King Solomon splitting the baby in half mm. uh, and using that as an example of like a separating equilibrium of like, how do we get people to, how do we get the mother to reveal who, who's the real mother? Um, so sort of a game, same space, game theory related yeah. uh, book, but it's not one of the first five. So it didn't make the cut into the sort of the final paper. Cut, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> that's really good. I didn't. Yeah, I actually yeah, yeah. didn't intend. It was that. not intended. Literally, yeah. maybe that should be uh, the footnote. We said yeah. <laughs> we should say we uh, wanted yeah. to include the story, but it didn't make the cut. Yeah. It, just like, you've been working on this paper. Is this coming? Is this like going to be submitted to like Journal of Economics Teaching or somewhere? Or? So that's something we need to discuss. So we we got to uh, regroup and kind of discuss where we want to uh, target this for. But that'd definitely be one of the. Uh, uh, high contenders for uh, submitting the paper. So that's something that... So to, uh, to bring Jet Set into this one more episode, as though we... At some point, we will stop talking about Jet Set. No, but Jet Set... Effort, Jet Set's uh, awesome. Are we able to yeah. say where it is? Where Are we able yeah, to... No, we can say... I can definitely say it if you want me to say it now, or we can save it. It's up to you. Well, why don't we Why don't we say it now, right? We Jet Set 2024 will be held the first weekend in August. I wish I had the dates. I really should have known the dates now. Uh, so now I'm just... I'll look those up. See if I can like furiously look this up and, and jump ahead. Uh, Jet Set 2024 will be held August 1st through August 3rd, Thursday through Saturday in beautiful Blacksburg, Virginia. So it will be hosted Ooh. by Virginia Tech. Um, so we're going to have it. Uh, we'll have it down here. So Brian definitely has to come since he's an alumni. Uh, so we'll have to schedule this in his summer travel plans to come back to Blacksburg for a little bit. So that's exciting. That's exciting. Very cool. It's a, Very cool. I, so, I mean, Brian has it easy because Brian will say yes to this. Blacksburg is an incredibly beautiful campus, especially in the summer. It's a it's a really great place to be. I think it's going to be really good. I'm excited to. Yeah. I've never been there. I'm excited to, yeah. to see Blacksburg. And of course, we're another jet set. So I have um, you've each mentioned one. So I've, I I looked up a couple ahead of time. Um mm -hmm. But I, I, I will only share one, and I'm trying to figure out which one would be better to share. Well, but I thought I'll, I'll ask Brian: Are you familiar with uh, the um, the parable of the talents? Yes, the Catholic University. So that was that was one kind of what you know. As you're thinking through, like I'm trying to think through the various biblical stories, and I am not an expert by any means. But this is yeah. in the this is relate in the gospel, but it's. Um, it's in a couple different gospels, but the idea on this is a, um, the landowner mm -hmm. of, of the area is going away and entrusts three of his servants or slaves, you know, as the, depending where, what you're reading with, uh, some of the, some of the resources, some of the talents, which is like a unit of currency at the time yeah. and gives out, uh, so they're all each given some of the talents and said, do, you know, I'm entrusting you with these, um, do your best with them. Two of them go out and essentially invest the talents and the coming back saying, I took, I took your resources and I was able to make more resources with them. Mm -hmm. One of them said, you entrusted me to keep them safe. I dug a hole in the ground. I buried them and here mm -hmm. they are. Mm -hmm. And the uh, the landowner was very upset at the one who simply chose to make it safe. And I, so I heard this as a kid, and I'm and the first one's making it something like my thought was they're keeping it safe. Why would you punish the person? <laughs> uh, and the other two, they'll go out to invest it. And I 
I, I found that a, it's, you know, it's a story that has gotten older. I found it a little bit more interesting and in, mm. like relating to the idea of investing the idea of capital using mm-hmm. capital and using capital to uh, produce items. Also a little bit about personal finance and what you should do in mm-hmm. terms of saving versus investing. But I don't know if, um, if you might have any other spins yeah. on that particular story. I, th- I think it'd be a good example of opportunity cost, kind of like just you're, you're squandering an opportunity to make, uh, make yourself better off. Uh, definitely a example of talking about profit. Um, could even get into maybe principal agent problems where the um uh the servant uh was not acting as a good agent for his master and so there's a bunch there's a kind of some takes that pop into my head just kind of off the cuff but i think there's a there's a lot of good nuggets in there that you could really yeah. draw on yeah. no that's 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 fantastic so i don't know jadrian if you'd heard that story before if no i hadn't so i yeah. i was a i went to sunday school as a kid and that's about as far as my training. <laughs> I, I stopped when I had to. My, uh, my wife taught uh, Bible school for a while. Okay. And so I, I, I probably heard the stories a little bit more often. And then I went to a Catholic school yeah. from third grade to seventh grade. Okay. So, you know, actually I literally had to study it for part of a grade <laughs> for a while. Yeah. The um, So that's... um. We usually, we do like to close the show with thinking a little bit about pop culture. And I'm... Mm-hmm. I mentioned that for those who are interested, <clears throat> Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat musical. Uh, there is a song on Broadway economics, and we will link to it in the show notes. But it does do a nice job of thinking mm-hmm. through the idea of economic cycles and what the government could do to respond to those particular cycles. Jadrian and Brian, I mean, we've talked about the Bible, so we could just simply say, look, kind of all of this was about economics in, I, I don't want to say pop culture, but in mm-hmm. within literature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any, um, I don't know if anything else jumps out at you that you might want to share. I, I will add none because I am <laughs> not knowledgeable yeah. at all. I will tell you, right. I can tell you there was Evan Almighty and Bruce Almighty were movies. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There are, uh, what was the, the veggie tales have some great clips about these mm-hmm. stories, but no, I, I cannot add anything of meaning. So I, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll give my time to Brian. <laughs> he okay. wants double yeah. time. Like uh, just some of the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoats, like uh, one of my favorite references. Uh, I've got we've got some examples from the life of uh, Moses uh, that uh, the Prince of Egypt would be another great example of popular culture. Uh, the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. Uh, that's a, a classic example. So uh, the Prince. Go ahead. If, if I could pause, the Prince of Egypt. Yeah. You're talking the movie. There was a musical released, and I literally watched it, and. When I watch in the back of my mind afterwards, I'm trying to think, okay, what could I put on Broadway and Broadway economics? And I don't know that I found oh, any. We so have maybe to help maybe you. I should talk to you offline and see is there a song yeah. or two we could add. So. Oh, that's a great question. Like I'm, I'm thinking more the the cartoon version. I have not seen the Broadway version, but there's uh, I could uh, take definitely anything some... where they sing can go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, definitely some good uh, uh, some good lessons from uh, uh, Moses and his story. Um, so Prince of Egypt, uh, Ten Commandments by Charlton Heston, then also just the, the Bible itself as literature, I think is a, uh, you know, for a lot of people, it's a holy book. Uh, and for, even if you're not a, uh, religious person yourself, it still is really deep literature that has had a tremendous impact on Western culture that I think is good for, uh, all people to be familiar with. And it's, it's a lot of other literature ties into it. And I'm like, I'm blanking right now is to try to come up with some good examples for that. But uh, definitely a lot, 
of literature throughout history has drawn uh, Western literature anyways, has drawn on a lot of uh, uh, biblical stories. Super. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This was, this was really fascinating for me <laughs> to think through topics in a completely different way. <laughs> and as Jadrian mentioned, when an economist goes, huh, like in that tone, usually it's, it's, it's a, I don't know if it's the ultimate sign of respect, but it definitely is. Uh, I'm spoiled because Brian hooked me in a year and a half ago at the first jet set or two jets ago. And I was, and I have dropped the ball in terms of getting this paper moving along. However, I, I will recommit. Uh, hopefully it's one of those, <laughs> the semesters get really busy. Life happens. And I think for all of us, we sort of put it on the back burner. So hopefully there will be a paper yeah. coming out soon. Yeah, that's that's true for Jadrian for all of us on the project. So we definitely need to to reengage, and we'll be uh, we'll, I'll make that a priority for the next uh, uh, coming uh, month or two. Yeah, awesome. but looking forward to diving back into it. So we got we got a lot of good uh, foundation laid, and uh, looking forward to listen. We're talking forward. about it on a podcast, so this is a this is like a commitment device. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> we <laughs> talked about it. We have to do it now. Yeah, exactly. And well, for that's something for the rest of us to look forward to. So uh, Brian, it's wonderful to kind of chit chat with you a little bit Jadrian nice to see you again and to everybody else thanks for listening and cheers cheers yeah cheers